0: What an exciting Sunday here at Mount Hope. Baptisms, graduates, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, fathers that are in here. Uh, we also uh, ask for God's comfort upon those of you that this day may be a bit of a harder day for you for one reason or another. We remember you and, and pray God's grace upon you as well. Um, now, I was thinking a little bit about Father's Day, and this isn't the message today, and I know I'm, I'm tight on time, but I wanted to say... <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to say, you know, sometimes when it comes to Father's Day, I think it sometimes gets looked at different than Mother's Day. Um, you know, even, I, I don't know, I, maybe that's just me, but I think that's true sometimes. Even in church, you come to church on Mother's Day and we're going to celebrate moms, right? And you come to church on Father's Day and we're going to challenge fathers, or which aka means chastise fathers at times. And, and sometimes it's different, right? And I thought, you know, I know a lot of dads that are doing a great job. And I think you need to hear that this morning. And that, and that it's not just, yes, I know dads, we need to be challenged, we need to be, but I think you also need to be encouraged. A father casts, one of the things I've learned in ministry is that a father casts a long shadow. And I have sat down with many men, and grown men, Grown men with children of their own and jobs and mortgages and and everything else and doing great in life. And still men that are wondering if their dad is proud of them or would be proud of them. A father casts a long shadow. And I've also seen a lot of men who I think are doing a really good job. Perfect no, but making an effort. Not getting it perfect all the time, but trying to flip the script and change the legacy for their family and for your family. Not getting it right all the time, but making it better. And this message isn't about Father's Day this morning, but I just want to take the moment to say, you know, for those of you that are striving to do that, well done. Keep striving. When you're paying attention to your children, not just their behavior, but their heart, God sees that when you stay those extra hours at work so you can pay for the braces or you turn down those extra hours so you can be at the dance recital. Well done. For going to work every day or for working around the house or whatever those things are, wherever that has, wherever God has for you, well done. For looking to God, for trying to change the script from the mistakes maybe your father made with you. For being in church this morning for praying for your family for standing up for your family and kneeling down before god for them for reading the bible and praying with your kids for loving god for loving your family for loving your kids enough to discipline them but loving god enough to do it in a loving and redemptive manner for saying you're sorry when you get it wrong for loving god and loving your kids well done men that many times will say I love you and I'm proud of you more times to your kids than perhaps you heard it in your entire life from your dad and you're trying to change that script and let your kids know what a father and what their heavenly father looks like. Well done. So well done, dads, and keep up that good work. Keep striving to emulate your heavenly father as you serve as a father to your children. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Maybe you even made them this morning. Confess to God. Move on. Allow God to strengthen you for the work he's called you to. Amen? All right. Now let's get into Luke chapter 6. Let's go. i got 13 minutes. A little bit longer. I'm going to take a little bit longer than that. Luke chapter 6, we're going to get there. We're in this unshakable series, and we're talking about how do you build an unshakable life. We're looking at Jesus' sermon in Luke chapter 6, the sermon on the plain, not uh, plain, plane, but like plane on on the ground on the plane. Jesus gives this sermon on the plane and so we're looking at that. Although I want to start by talking about plane planes. Uh, Because I I took a flight a couple weeks ago as I was out in California. I think Pastor Marvin, let you know, I was taking some classes out there. I'm in the middle of a degree I'm taking. So I went out there for some classes. It's the first time I flew Since March of 2020, first time I went to an airport. Um, Some of you have done that. Some of you haven't. I'll let you know most of the things are the same. Not much has changed. Uh, I didn't have to take my shoes off. I thought that was great. I don't know. COVID fixed that. So that was good. Um, But most of the other things are are the same. But I noticed, one thing I noticed when I was flying that I I guess I've noticed before, but I particularly noticed at this time, is talking about unshakable. The unshakableness of a flight attendant on a plane. Like, I, these people and what they deal with at times and deal with it somehow with grace and patience, there is an unshakableness to the job that they do. I had a guy beside me who his screen wasn't working on his chair, and he was upset that his screen wasn't working on his chair. But it was the only one that wasn't working. And the flight attendant would try to kindly explain, we'd have to reset the whole system Everyone's screen would go down for your screen, but, but he was not happy, and she brought snack boxes over and kindly explained it and worked out, and I thought, well, that's, you know, that's unshakableness in the, in, the, in the midst of that. Or when they go down with the snack cart, and, and some people uh, feel like they're ordering at a five-star restaurant, and I, I see some people like, now, what, what vintage are your Cheez-Its today? And it feels like they're... You know, I'll take three Cheez-Its, two cookies, four pop chips, and a, and a soda, you know. And they're just happily and, and, and kindly doing it. unshakableness in, uh, in the face of constant demands or, or things like that. Uh, unfortunately, most of us, when we encounter people, and especially encounter people who might not be kind, uh, might be mean, may even go further and mistreat us, Uh, we may not have the same unshakable response or unshakable reaction. And we come to a part in the message of Jesus this morning where he is talking about how do you respond? How do you respond in situations where people are unkind to you, mistreat you, don't treat you the way not only you would like to be treated, but even the way you should be treated? All kinds of places this takes place. Sometimes it takes place in work. Maybe the person you thought liked you, the person you thought was in your corner, the manager you thought was fighting for you, all of a sudden you found out that they were standing in the way of advancing your career at work. Maybe the student that asked for your help on a project then stands up in front of the class and takes all the credit for the work that you did. Times where people don't treat you the way you should be treated. Maybe the family member who uh, you find out are family members who you find out only after a loved one passed away that they were somehow working together to keep you out of a will or out of a situation with the family. You get into a private argument with a friend. They start posting about it on social media, maybe, and they take every opportunity to badmouth you, and then all of a sudden, people you thought were your friends start liking those unkind posts. People who mistreat you, treat you poorly. How do we respond in situations like that? We've all been there. We've all had times where things like this have come, and to be honest, most of us, it shakes us. It can shake us pretty, pretty dramatically and for a long time. How do you respond in those moments? Today, we're going to look at how Jesus tells us to respond, of how we're supposed to respond and why we're supposed to respond in that way. So Luke chapter 6, picking up in verse 27, if you're using your chair rack Bible there, it's about page 862, Luke chapter 6, picking up in verse 27, Jesus has something to say to his disciples about times like that because he says you are gonna face times when people mistreat you. In fact, he's just coming off this sermon that James gave us here in Burlington last week where it talked about you're going to face persecution. In fact, just because you follow Jesus, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face difficulty. There are going to be people who are gonna talk badly about you. You are going to face pain. How should you respond, not if, but when that happens? Verse 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Here's Jesus' response. How do we act as Christians? How are Christians, how are Jesus followers supposed to act when someone treats them unkindly, when someone mistreats them, when someone treats them unfairly? Here's Jesus' response. When others act unfairly toward you, act unfairly toward them. This is Jesus' response. When others act unfairly to you, they mistreat you, then you're to act unfairly to them. You're to act unfairly by treating them with kindness that they do not deserve, by loving your enemy. Now, enemy is kind of a, uh, it's a word that we look at, we go, I don't have any enemies. If I asked you right now, write down three of your enemies. Most of us probably couldn't write down one not because there aren't people in our lives that we have difficulty with, but we don't consider people enemy. We think of that in a military term. We think of that in in an us and them, I have to defeat you term. We don't always think of it that way. But that's not quite how Jesus defines enemy. Look at how Jesus defines it. Jesus defines it in, in kind of three main ways right away. Those who hate you, those who curse you, and those who abuse you or mistreat you. Hate, it's kind of an internal thing, a feeling. You don't always see it, but they have feelings towards you that they, they don't like you, that there's a, there, there's, a, there's a hate in their heart towards you. And then it kind of elevates, Jesus said, those who curse you. So what's in the heart starts coming out in words. Maybe on a post online, maybe actual words to your face, often words behind your back, but it comes out in words, those who curse you. And then he says, those who abuse you. And then there's actions. They mistreat you. They took something from you that didn't belong to them. Jesus says, they took your cloak, took it and didn't give it back. They took something that doesn't belong. They abuse. They mistreat you. This is how Jesus, now if I asked you, write down three people. Someone who doesn't like you. Someone who's spoken hurtful words against you. Someone who has abused you. We could probably write down, many of us, more than three names. And Jesus says to those people, love your enemies. I love the fact that Jesus says love your enemies because it, we, the one thing enemy does is it puts it pretty much as far away from anyone else, from yourself, as, as it could be. That means everyone in between, too. But we're to love them not just the ones that may mistreat us and abuse us, but the ones that disagree with us, the ones that are hard to get along with. All that in-between space is covered by Jesus saying, love your enemies. And this is hard to do because we live in a world that says, cancel your enemies. Just block your enemies. Don't listen to your enemies. Certainly don't engage them in dialogue or co- helpful conversation Jesus says love them we can confuse love we need to be careful with a feeling but Jesus is talking about action when the Bible says what love is we don't have to look past 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says love is patient and kind it doesn't envy or boast it's not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it's not irritable or resentful those are actions Jesus says, this is how you're supposed to be patient. You're supposed to be kind to your enemies. When when someone is unfair to a person with unshakable love, that person with unshakable love is to be unfair right back, but do it with kindness, unfair with goodness. says, those who hate you, do good to them. Those who curse you, speak words against you, Bless them. Those who mistreat you, abuse you, take advantage of you in certain ways, pray for them. These aren't easy words. In fact, I think these are some of the fiercest words Jesus ever spoke. This is some of the highest and most uh, difficult morality that Jesus ever teaches to his followers to love your enemies whatever you think is the hardest moral standard that Jesus might be calling you to I would argue there is no higher moral standard no harder moral standard nothing more difficult than Jesus's words that say love your enemies that's the life that the Christian is called to We try and get around it. We try and find loopholes. We try and do all kinds of things for it not to apply to us. Well, are you saying that this person that this happened to has to love that person? I don't know. Let me sit down with that person and let's talk with that person. And let's talk about what love means for that person in that situation. But what about you? What about you in your situation? What's God calling you to do with that person in your life? Unshakable love. This is a response that Jesus calls us to. It's a love that calls us to do things that don't make sense to many other people. In 1989, when the Berlin Wall fell, the ruler of then East Germany, the dictator of East Germany, Erich Hanukkah, was cast out of course of office. And he was arrested Uh, AND A LOT OF PEOPLE WERE REALLY HAPPY. East Germans, to see him arrested. In fact, they wanted to see him suffer. They wanted to see him go through difficulty, just like he had put East Germany through for the last 40 years. This builder of the Berlin Wall, this this person who persecuted churches and Christians for 40 years. He was in his 70s. He had cancer, and he was arrested. And the court said because of his sickness, because of his age, because of his condition, that he can't stay in prison. So they kicked him out of prison, but he had nowhere to go. All his houses, all his property, everything had been confiscated, so he was relegated to being sick and living on the streets with he and his wife until a church and a pastor took him in to their community. Yuve Homer was a pastor in Germany at that time he's a pastor that suffered much under the dictatorship of Hanukkah in fact he had eight children He had more than eight children but he had eight that were banned from going to school because he was a pastor and some of the stances he took and he was they weren't allowed to be educated in in there and they had all a bunch of other things that they also suffered under the leadership but this church that saw this man on the street said, we could hardly have a welcoming statue of Jesus Christ in the village and then leave someone outside the door who's gotten into trouble through his own deeds. The pastor said, this is the right thing to do for an old sick man. When we pray to forgive our sins and forgive those who have sinned against us, we make, must take these commands seriously. But not everyone felt that way. One man said this, listen, man, that's not the point in, response to, uh, in his response to the pastor's words that were to take him in. He said, that's not the point, an old man shouts suddenly. He is a pensioner, this, this old man's a pensioner, who with his wife drove 90 minutes from East Berlin to register his outrage that Hanukkah is not sitting on a dank, bitterly cold prison. Think about it, this man says. Hanukkah fought the church for 40 years, and now they take him in? They should lock him up like the others. He should be forced to see all the misery he caused. This man's wife said, he had 14 cars for himself alone, the pensioner's wife said. Pastor responded this way, but Jesus says, love your enemies. if you choose to live this way, if you choose to love this way, there are gonna be a lot of people who do not understand it. There'll be some people who will drive from 90 minutes away to tell you how wrong you are for doing what you're doing. But the question is, are you the pastor or are you the person in the car driving 90 minutes away to say, how could you show this kind of compassion and care? Or maybe you're just saying, why? Why do that? I mean, look, he mistreated so many people. Look, he he caused so much pain. Look, he caused so much difficulty. Why show him love? Well, that's the second part of the passage. Luke 6, 32. Pick up in 32. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Here's the reason why. Be merciful, even as your heavenly father is merciful. Jesus tells us how to live. And then he tells us why we're supposed to do it. And why we're supposed to do it is the reason you can show love is because when you treated God unfairly, he was unfair to you. When you and I treated God unfairly, when we walked our own way, when we choose to sin, when we choose our way over God's way, when we have chosen to walk our direction instead of God's direction, he was unfair in his grace and his mercy. Because if he treated us fairly, none of us, none of us would be saved. If he treated us fairly, none of us would be spared. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of God's standard and God's glory, and yet He has unfairly lavished His grace and His love upon us. Because if we're all honest, we would say, I don't want God to be fair with me. Because if God's fair with me, I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve the salvation. All I deserve is the penalty for my disobedience. So I'm grateful for God and his unfairness to me. And so Jesus asked these words, and, and I think on Father's Day, this is a good way to ask it. Who are you striving to be like? Because in this last part of the passage, Jesus says, you know what? You can return evil for evil. Everyone does that. You can be mean when someone's mean to you. Everyone does that. You can punish someone, you know, and and hold a grudge against them. Everyone does that. But if you want to be like your heavenly father, if you want to be like the person that God has created you to be and called you to be, then you're going to have to love your enemies. You're going to have to pray for those who mistreat you. You're going to have to do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you what jesus is essentially saying is stop keeping ledgers and start loving your enemies i'm not an accountant and i don't uh i'm not, I'm not great at it but bernie who keeps our numbers here at mount hope and pam Vialto, who keeps our numbers they have these ledgers and if i ever ask them for anything they can go back and give me pages and pages of pages of credits and debits and, and everything, you know, that, that we have, that we owe, that we spent, that, that we've received. We have to have ledgers to keep track of that. I think in life we're often keeping ledgers. Who do I owe good to? Who's been mean to me? Who do I hold a grudge against? Who do I give good to? Who do I bless? Who do I curse? Who do I stay away from? We're keeping ledgers. and Isn't it so much work just to keep up those ledgers in our lives? Wouldn't it be easier, wouldn't it be more freeing to just toss out the ledgers? And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Stop it. Stop keeping the ledgers and love your enemies. The only thing you owe to anyone is the debt to love them as Christ has loved you. To throw those ledgers out, stop keeping track, stop keeping score, and the only score you need to keep is to love as Christ has loved you. Jesus says we are unable to be unfair in our response to others because God has been unfair to us. Unshakable love loves those who are unfair to you with the same unfair love that God offers to you. That's what unshakable love is. It's a love that unfairly offers grace. Psalm 103 says it this way. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is the unfair love that God offers to you. He does not hold your sins against you. He offers you grace and love and blessing. Jesus said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Which one is the hardest for you? As we close this morning, that's, that's the question I want you to consider in your mind. Who's the person that God is calling you to love and which one's the hardest for you? Someone who has malice in their heart and and Jesus is calling you to do good to them. I think the Holy Spirit throughout this message may have already been bringing someone to your mind. You've got someone in your heart. You've got someone in your mind. You know who the person is. I don't know who it is. You, maybe just you and the Lord, maybe not even the person sitting beside you knows who it is. You know who it is. You know who you want to hold that grudge against. You know who you don't want to be good to. And then yet God says, to those who hate you, do good to them. Or maybe it's the one who curses. Maybe it's the one who... Has said words that are hurtful to you, and today the Lord says, Bless them. What would that look like for you? They don't deserve it. So we need to get that out of our minds. It's not because they deserve it, it's not because they've earned it, it's not because they've come and said they were sorry, it's not because they've come begging your forgiveness because we didn't deserve it either. What do you need to bless that's been hurtful to you? And you might say, well, well, doesn't God wait until we repent and then he extends forgiveness to us? No, 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 you have to back up the story more. He sent Jesus first. He sent Jesus when we were living as his enemies. And he sent Christ to pay for our sins that whoever would put their trust in him could have forgiveness of their sins. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God didn't wait until we wised up and and came to him begging. He He sent Jesus first. So who's cursed you that you need to bless? Who has abused you? Who has mistreated you that you need to pray for? you need to pray for. Maybe this is the hardest one, and maybe this is the first one that you need to start with today. That person that's caused pain in your life, that person who has not done you right, maybe financially, maybe relationally, that Jesus today says pray for them, for them. Maybe you'd start with this prayer, which is, which is when I, Lord, be kind to them and bless them and may they know your kindness and may they recognize your kindness and your love and your blessing in their life. One of my prayers for people that are in this situation in my life, and I say, Lord, may your kindness lead them to repentance because it's easy to pray, Lord, get them. Lord, do to them what they did to me. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say do one to others as as they've done one to you. He didn't say do one before they do one to you. He said do to them as you would have them do to you. So who is it that God is calling you to pray for? Lord, may your kindness to them. May your goodness to them. May your blessing on them lead them to repentance in their life. Let's pray. Lord, oh God, we come to a passage like this and we are quick to think about how it applies to someone else. And we are quick to try and pull ourselves off the target, Lord, of your word. But Father, right now, I just pray that you'll speak to each of our hearts. There are people in our lives that we need to love as you have called us to love, not because we have the strength within us and not because they deserve it, but because we have undeservedly received your love and because your Holy Spirit dwells within us. So lead us to do what we cannot do in our own strength and what we should not do according to the world around us. And yet what we must do because of who you are and what you've done for us. Lead us, Lord, in Jesus' name.